Okay, so this morning, instead of First Corinthians, we're going to look at some some of the prophecies surrounding uh, the birth of Christ from the book of Isaiah. So let's open the word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time of year, for the time of celebration, and especially a time to remember the incarnation that uh, your son became a man, came to earth to save us. Lord, that's such an act of love and, and uh, grace that uh, it just is overwhelming to us. And we just thank you that we can uh, celebrate at this time of, of year and, and uh, enjoy that and, and appreciate you and, and thank you for it. We just pray you'll bless our time now as we look into your word and, and look at some of the prophecies you gave surrounding your son's birth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at some of the Old Testament passages that are <clears throat> referenced at the birth of Christ. So let's start by turning to Matthew, where we will see the, see the reference. Matthew chapter 1, and we're, let's go, we'll read around, just, we'll read verses 18 through 23, 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was unfaithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so Mary is engaged to Joseph, and she's pregnant. This was scandalous. Um, and Joseph, rightfully so, under the law, began divorce proceedings. So when a couple was engaged, they were treated as though they were married, even though they had not come together physically yet. Legally, they were married. So he quietly began the proceedings. He didn't want to cause her any additional shame. And so God sent his angel to Joseph to say, no, she has not been unfaithful to you. Um, the baby was from God, and he was to take her as his wife. The engagement was a set time, right? Was a certain amount of time? I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't that a year? And that's, I that's, that's, that's what I was thinking. It might have been a year. That, that's what I, I thought. Yeah. But Just sure. in case the girl was already pregnant? Yep. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I thought. And in this case, she was. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, there was a problem. And so God had to intervene. He sent Gabriel uh, to uh, tell Joseph it's okay. This is something different. <laughs> this is something special that I'm doing. Um, and he was to be named Jesus, which uh, the Hebrew is Yeshua, or Yeshua, which means Jehovah, or Yahweh saves. And so he was, that was his name. He came to save um, and so we have, we have the prophecy here. 
and it's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and it's quoted here. And then Matthew adds to the end of it. Um, it says, his name is Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's for the... The Jews really spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew, and many of them would not have known this. And Matthew, um, his main audience is the Jews. And so he does a lot of quotations from the Old Testament prophecies to prove to them that Jesus is their Messiah. And so we'll see that all through Matthew. It's almost like, you know, when you're reading through your Bible, you get to, you know, you go through the Old Testament and you hit Matthew. It's just like, it's just continuing right on, uh, almost like part of the Old Testament. And so Matthew's gospel is almost like a, a gospel tract that was written to the Jews. So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll look mainly at why was this prophecy given in the first place and what, what was the historical context. Um, what's, the, what's the reason for it? Okay, so Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So this is what's quoted, and you'll see that uh, uh, God says it's given as a sign. Um, so there's some context for it here. There's a historical context of why it's given. What's the purpose for the sign? And the first question is, who was the sign given to? God's giving someone this sign. So let's turn back to verse 1. We'll be in chapter 7 of Isaiah for a while. So now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remuliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. So Ahaz is the king of Judah. And that's, he's the one who is a recipient of this sign. And this first verse gives kind of a summary of the whole chapter. You've got uh, the Aramaeans. Aram was north of the northern kingdom. You had Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel is the northern kingdom. And then north of them was Aram where the Arameans were from. And so the kingdom of Aram and Israel were going to get together to attack Jerusalem. And this verse ends by saying they could not conquer it. So we know in the end that they don't, they're not successful. So this is just a summary of, of uh, what we'll see next. So Ahaz, we, we know Judah had good kings and bad kings. What was he? He was a bad one. Okay, let's, let's go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Someone like to read verses 1 through 4 for us here. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel 
the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that serve Oops. the king. I, I'm wrong here. It must be Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Okay, he was an idolater. He did all the bad things that the Jews did in, in, in idolatry. Made idols, worshipped, you know, uh, the false gods, uh, child sacrifice, all that stuff. He was about as bad as they could get. Let's go back a chapter. Um, Second Chronicles 27, which someone like to read verses 1 and 2. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zodak. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzzah had done. But unlike him, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. The people, however, continued their corrupt practices. Okay, Jotham was Ahaz's father. He says he walked in the ways of his, uh, he did right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Uzziah also was, was his grandfather who did right in the sight of the Lord. So his grandfather, his father were good kings. And then he came along with just the opposite. One time I did a Mother's Day lesson looking at all the kings. It didn't really matter who their fathers was, you know, as far as whether how they turned out. It was who their mothers were. It was very interesting. Yeah, so it was often that was it. Um, now Ahaz's son then was Hezekiah. Was he good or bad? Good and bad. He was mostly good. Yeah, I but mean, he failed at the end. Yeah, at the end he failed. But he led he led a great revival. So he's kind of like you've got this one bad apple in the midst of the series of kings here. Uh, so he's sandwiched in between these, these good kings, and he's a bad one. God's going to send him a sign. So obviously, signs are not earned by good behavior. God has, God's not rewarding Ahaz by giving him a sign. Okay, so back to chapter 10 of Isaiah. Um, we saw verse 1 is kind of a summary. Verse 2 kind of is the beginning of the narrative as to what was going on. It says, When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. So he f receives news that the army of the Arameans are now in what well, calls it Ephraim here. This is in the northern kingdom, also known as Israel. They're not invading Israel, but they're forming an alliance. So you've got the armies of these two nations together, and he knows they're coming. They're heading south. 
And you see him shaking like the trees in the wind. There's fear. All the people are living in fear. Oh yeah, they they fought back and forth a lot. Yeah. Now, did, Ahaz makes no makes no effort here to seek God. You know, it, when you read about Hezekiah and, and the invasion, first thing he does is go to the temple, cry out to God. Ahaz has nothing to do with that. Looking down at verse four. Um, well, anyway, verse verse three, God tells Isaiah to go talk to him. Verse 4, And say to him, Take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. So God says, You've got these two kings. He calls them smoldering stubs. <laughs> yeah. Smoldering firebrands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the message that Isaiah takes to King Ahaz is from God is, you know, take care, be calm, have no fear. Um, God is there. He will protect his people and, and his, the city where his, he has placed his name. And then Isaiah outlines the plan of these two kings in verses 5 and 6. Because Aram, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it, and make for ourselves a breach in its walls, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. So here's the plan. They're going to come, you know, break down the wall, make a breach in the wall of Jerusalem, and they're going to replace Ahaz with um, their own king, put him on the throne, someone who would be uh, submissive and servant to them. Um, it sounds like what's going on in Ukraine today. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Uh, will they succeed? Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass. God says no, their plan will fail. He's the sovereign omnipotent God and this is not part of his plan they will come against Jerusalem. They will fail. Um, so do you think Ahaz believes what Isaiah is telling him? He, he wants nothing to do with Jehovah. Yeah. Um, so God says he'll give him a sign that, that his word is true. So let's turn to... Uh, Verse 10, looking at verses 10 and 11. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So this is a command through Isaiah to Ahaz. He's saying, you ask for a sign, whatever you want. As deep as Sheol, high as heaven, whatever you want. You ask it, you pick it up, you make a sign. Um, Yeah. Let's let's look at a let's look at Judges chapter six. This is the fleece. Yes. Judges chapter six. 
someone like to read verses 36 through 40 for us? Gideon was not bashful about asking for a sign here. And I think it, you know, verse 39, Gideon says, do not let your anger burn against me. Because <laughs> he knew, he, he was afraid. You know, as he, keeps, he kept saying, as you have spoken. He knew what God had said. He just couldn't bring himself to believe it and act on it. Why didn't a man that's hiding so, in the bottom of a, of a where the wind will never get fresh sweet is afraid. I don't understand. <laughs> supposed to be on the mountaintop so the wind blows away and he's down at the bottom of the valley. Hiding in the... And if you... If you remember the story of Gideon, he also... He goes with his um, captain down to the camp and he overhear a Midianite who had a dream saying that Gideon was going to attack and de defeat them. So God had given them another sign. Um... And so when, when God tells Ahaz to ask for a sign, what is his response? So back to Isaiah 7, verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Um, this, um, this is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But we'll, let's not turn there. Let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 4 first. Matthew chapter 4. Someone like to read verses 6 and 7 for us. Okay, so testing the Lord means to see if he actually will do what he said he was going to do. You know, is God faithful to his promise? Or, or is he able to keep his word? And, and we know that the answer is yes. You know, we don't need to test the Lord. We, we know he will. Um, but Ahaz is quoting the same verses Jesus did here. And the difference is, in the case of Ahaz, you have a prophet of God telling him to do something, and Ahaz, who is an idolater, quotes Moses to say, no, I won't. 
this is about as hypocritical as you can get. On the other hand, with Jesus, you've got Satan misquoting a verse and Jesus refuting him and uses the same verse in a different context. So I, I think in the case of Ahaz, he just, he's basically telling Isaiah just bug off. <laughs> I don't want you and your God and your signs. I want nothing to do with you. Um, and so we see God's response in verse 13 and 14. Then, it's interesting you do the scriptures to be able to quote them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You still see that. Yeah. Even today, you see people that oppose God right. have, have some knowledge. I think you see it less and less as our yes. culture gets farther away. From yeah. They have, they have enough knowledge to, re, to abuse the few yeah, verses yeah, they know. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Who are you to cast the first stone? <laughs> I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, going on to verse uh, 13 and 14. Then he said, Listen now, o house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you should try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. So God gives his own sign through Isaiah. He's the one who picks out what it will be. Um, God determines the nature of this sign. Um, you know, it's interesting when we talked about Gideon, he, you know, he's, he was saying, you know, God, don't be angry with me. I'm going to ask for another sign. Well, here Ahaz refuses to ask for a sign, and, and Isaiah said, are you, are you trying the patience of God? Because <laughs> he was refusing to obey an order from God. Here Isaiah addresses, he doesn't say, listen now, Ahaz. He talks to the house of David. And that's the whole family of David, all the way from David to Messiah. So he's addressing the whole house of David. Um, and Isaiah rebukes King Ahaz for his refusal to... Uh, um, obey this command from God to ask for a sign, and God then gives his own sign. And so this is a sign given first to Ahaz, and so we will see there's an, a, a near fulfillment, but we, from the quotation in Matthew, we know there's a second fulfillment seven centuries later. A virgin will be with child. So... The word virgin refers to a young woman who is old enough to be married and to have children, but who is not yet married. And so in the Old Testament, you'll see sometimes it's translated virgin, sometimes it's translated young woman. And so people who deny this sign say, well, it's just talking about a young woman having a child. You know? And then they apply that to, try to apply that to Matthew and um, the virgin birth in, of Christ. Whereas in the New Testament, the word definitely means virgin. So, the Greek word. So here it refers to a young woman who is single at the time the prophecy is given, but who then becomes married and pregnant at, soon after this. And it's possible that uh, this is fulfilled here in chapter 8, verse 3. 
Now, this is not definite. Uh, so Isaiah says, So I approached the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said to me, Name him Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Um, so it's, you know, when a lot of times when you had prophets, they, they would be in groups. If you remember Elisha and Elijah, Elijah would, they had a, there'd be a bunch of prophets around them, possibly also women who were prophetesses. And so in this case in chapter 8, Isaiah would have married, taken one of them as a wife, and apparently he already had a wife, so he had, no, had, had two, yeah, a second wife here. <coughs> and Isaiah's told to give him this, this long name. Names meant something in the Old Testament. Um, chapter 7, going back to chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shirjashub. It tells him that the, he's going up to a conduit to the pool, which uh, commentary said Ahaz was probably trying to figure out how to get a water supply secured for the city for the coming siege. Um, Shirjashub means a remnant shall return. That was his name. Now this fellow in chapter 8 his name means swift to the booty, speedy is the prey, which is what we had in verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. And he says, now name your son the same thing. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but the names meant something. And so when... God told them to name the son Emmanuel, God with us, it meant something. Okay, so back to chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. So this verses tell what's going to happen. What's the fulfillment of this sign? Not just that a baby is going to be born, but the fulfillment it starts in 15. It says, He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land between the two, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The Lord will bring on you, on your people, and on your father's house such days as have never come since the day that Ephraim separated from Judah, the king of Assyria. So the time frame is when this young boy knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. And so this is taken to be about puberty, about the time they're 12 to 14. So little kids can learn, you can train them, but it's like they don't really know what's going on. They don't identify themselves. They're not aware of their old natures. And this is one of the things that happen when a kid hits the teenage years, their whole life falls apart because all of a sudden, they're faced with, oh, I have an old sin nature. It wants to do this. But I know that's wrong. I've been trained that that's wrong, but it wants to do that. And, I, and, and so all this stuff goes on, and there's all this turmoil in their life. And that's what this is talking about. Maybe the wrong gender. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just a time of total confusion for them because they've had they haven't had to deal with this before. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's and that's how it's described: knowing enough to refuse evil and choose good to make to make their choices. Now it says at this time the boy would eat curds and honey, and the commentary says this is what nomadic people ate. Well, they're living in Jerusalem. They're not living supposedly as nomads, except for the fact that the city's under siege. So that's kind of what it indicates. It's going to be a time of real economic hardship for Jerusalem when this child gets to be in the 12 to 14 year age group. So considering the time of conception and uh, time for birth, you're, you're, you know, there's another year there maybe 13 years out, something like that. That's the time frame. And uh, he says that he's two kings that Ahaz feared, uh, those of Israel, and he, Aram is basically where Syria is now. Um, they're they're going to be gone. They're going to be conquered. And it's actually uh, Assyria that does that. A larger kingdom even further north. And then we also see at the end of verse 17 that Assyria will be threatening Jerusalem at that time. And that's what happened um, when Hezekiah was king. Assyria came and besieged Jerusalem. So that's what we see happen at the end of verse 17. So Isaiah spoke this prophecy around 735 B.C., <coughs> Assyria conquered Israel in 722 B.C. That's 13 years later. So that's the fulfillment of this prophecy. Okay, so that's where this one prophecy, that's the original fulfillment. And then we have again, seven centuries later, we have the the virgin birth of Christ as a second fulfillment of this prophecy. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's interesting not only to see the prophecy fulfilled, but looking at this, and it gives us an idea of how God gives and interprets and fulfills his prophecies. Because this is clearly a, a dual fulfillment. One 13 years later, one 700 years later. Different contexts, different fulfillments, but the same prophecy, same words. Okay, so that takes care of that prophecy from Isaiah. Um, the other one is up here on the hanging. So unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given in Isaiah chapter 9. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Remember when we went through Isaiah and Everett talked about looking out over the lay of the land and seeing the mountains. Oh, the, yeah, the mountains. And another mountain. And uh -huh. another mountain. Right. Being, the big valleys between them, right. Yeah. It would be time. Time goes yeah. uh, Would someone like to read verses 1 and 2? Times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. 
But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Okay. So we're talking about Galilee, the area around Galilee, and the light shining on these people because they're in the dark. Who's this talking about? It's talking about Christ. All right. Let's turn to Matthew uh, chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, would someone like to read verses 14 through 16? Okay, so Matthew quotes it here. Uh, it's preceded by um, Jesus leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. So again, we see the, this passage quoted. This is not one you see, typically see at Christmas time, but what it tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 is that this is a messianic passage, messianic prophecy. Um, the one we do see in chapter 9 is verse 6. So back to Isaiah chapter 9. Someone like to read verse 6 for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, and this is the one that we see so often even like on Christmas cards or things. And we've got it on our wall hanging up here. Um, you know, the child will be born to us, a son given to us. And this refers to Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the son of David. He's the son of man. And he's born in Bethlehem and goes and moves to Galilee, which fulfills the first part of this prophecy. Um, and he's called here um, mighty God. He is God, which fulfills that other part of the prophecy that says Emmanuel. It means God with us. So that is fulfilled. And so uh, this is a, you know, a beautiful prophecy. It clearly refers to Jesus Christ. It is not quoted in the New Testament. It is on our wall hangings and Christmas cards, but it is not. Well, if it is, I couldn't find it. <laughs> the closest thing we have is in Luke chapter 1. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1. We were, we were at a service last night, and the, the fellow who read in that passage spoke about a comma. I'm not sure what the comma was, but he said that comma represented a lot of time because there was a prophecy about this, and then okay. there was a prophecy about this. He just made the comment about the comma. Yeah, yeah. Luke what? Yeah. Luke chapter 1. And so I'd like to read verses 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His 
his kingdom will have no end. Okay, so this is Gabriel announcing to Mary that she was going to have a uh, child. And so this is really the closest thing we have in the New Testament. I mean, Gabriel basically says the same thing, but in, in completely different words. He does not quote the prophecy, but he gives us the same content. So, so those are where our, two of our most common uh, uh, prophecies about the virgin birth and the birth of Christ come from in Isaiah. Um, we have uh, a little bit of time left, so let's go back to Isaiah chapter 8. And so going back to the first prophecy about the, the virgin will have a child and you know, before he knows enough to choose good and reject evil, which was like 13 years out, uh, both these northern, both the kingdoms that were going to attack Jerusalem will be destroyed. We saw that at the end of chapter 7. Well, there's another part to it in chapter 8. Let me see if I can find it again. Verse 4. It says, for before the boy knows how to cry out, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So you've got this baby, and before he's old enough to really say mama and daddy, you know, so less than a year old, so you've got the term of pregnancy plus some more years. So you're talking less, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years after he's, the virgin conceives. It says Assyria will come from the north and he'll haul away this, uh, the spoils of these two northern kingdoms. And that is what happened. I mean, he didn't destroy them. He, he actually, um, I think the uh, history says that um, oh, he did uh, take control over the, uh, the Arameans. But Samaria, he, he, he basically took all their wealth and treasuries and s subjected the king to their rule. And so, as kings often do, they chafe under that and they revolt. And that's what happened in 722 is the Assyrian king came back and destroyed uh, uh, Damascus in Syria. So there's kind of like two steps to this prophecy. First is like a year and a half, two years out, and the next one is 13 years out. And they were both fulfilled. So. Okay. So at that point, now is a good time to close. Joe, would you like to do that for us? Sure. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, for the way it speaks to us, the way it tells us the stories of the past, it tells us the future. Just the way that it's your living word to be passed down to us, and we thank you for that. Pray we're receptive to what it says. Pray we will get into your word to hear what you have for us individually, and just let us realize that you are speaking to us, and let us be attentive to what you have for us to say. Thank you for this lesson. We pray for Robert and the lesson to come. Lord, we want to thank you for the gift of your son, and just the season that here is remembering that, and we thank you for that. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.